Chapter Three of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Court of Russia. Ever since the Japanese War and the Revolution of 1905, the Emperor and his family lived either at Tsarkoe or Peterhof and the gorgeous ceremonies that had always been the feature of the russian court were practically a thing of the past the only time anything resembling the magnificent spectacles of old days took place was at epiphany when the emperor took part in the ancient function of the blessing of the waters a few years before our arrival at petersburg one of the cannons firing the salute from the fortress had been charged whether by accident or intention was never fully explained with shrapnel which peppered the pavilion where the emperor was standing tore one of the flags to ribbons and shattered a window of the winter palace luckily nobody was severely hurt and throughout the whole incident the emperor never moved or turned his head but for several years after that he was strongly advised not to attend the ceremony in person during the last few summers however cholera had raged in petersburg and the russian people superstition always strongly mingled with their faith declared that it was because the little father had not blessed the waters of the neva therefore in nineteen eleven it was decided that the emperor was once more to come up to petersburg for the feast of the epiphany though this time the guns that were to fire the salute were placed on the island of the burrs and trained down the river instead of across and smile as one may at the childish belief of the people it is certain that the following summer there was no recurrence of the violent cholera that had for several years ravaged the capital the day of epiphany was i remember one of brilliant winter sunshine and icy wind the yellow imperial standard flying on the fortress blew taut against a sky of clearest frozen blue golden spires and domes flashed with almost unbearable brilliance flags waved and fluttered from all the palaces along the quay on the white frozen surface of the neva a little wooden pavilion had been built covered with crimson velvet hangings and gold braid and close to it a round hole had been cut in the thick ice showing the black sullen water of the river in the winter palace the warm hushed stillness seemed to dimly vibrate with a subdued murmur of voices a rustle of dresses a soft silver jingle of spurs court servants in gorgeous liveries with little round hats covered with ostrich feathers perched on one side of their heads lined the vastness of the great staircase a mass of uniforms that were indescribably dazzling thronged the enormous rooms through which we passed the st george's hall with its marble pillars the throne room with deep red velvet the field marshal's room the armorial saloon with its massive gilt pillars in every one of them colors that took away one's breath moved and shifted in varying kaleidoscopic brilliance hussars in white and gold with scarlet dolmens slung over their shoulders officers of the chevalier guards in white with shining silver breastplates a cossack in vivid crimson another in deep blue officers of the gardes a chevelle looking like living figures of lohengrin in white and gold a colonel of some line regiment in orange tunic some others in emerald green a flood of sunshine was pouring through the long glass windows in the enormous gallery where all the diplomatic corps were assembled but after the marvel of glowing colors that had dazzled one the shimmer of the women's dresses even the gold on the diplomatic uniforms looked almost sober and dull 
for a time there seemed nothing much to do but to look out of the windows pity the soldiers and police on guard in front of the palace examine all the other women's hats and gowns and try and remember who one had shaken hands with then at a given signal everybody pressed to the long open gallery at one end of the room and a sudden hush fell as the procession of grand duchesses and court ladies headed by the dowager empress passed through on their way from the imperial chapel to the inner rooms of the winter palace the blaze of exquisite jewels the resplendent old court dresses with their stiffly embroidered gold petticoats their long hanging sleeves and trains of velvet their crown-shaped kakoshniks and soft white veils made one feel that just for a moment one had been transported back into some old fairy tale where princesses still wore gold and damask and jeweled diadems much of the details i have forgotten but all the same i can still remember the dowager empress long sweeping train of cream-white velvet with its deep border of priceless sable and i can recall too the soft rose-coloured velvet overdress of one of the young grand duchesses the vivid cornflower blue of the grand duchess cyril the marvellous sapphires and diamonds that flashed on her kakoshnik the olive-green of the older court ladies the ruby velvet of the demoiselles de Hanar. Slowly, in silence with the rustle of their heavy trains, the fire of their jewels, they passed, the heavy gold-studded doors at the end of the gallery closed behind them. But for a moment still the silence that had watched their passing held, and women looked at each other and sighed, thinking, perhaps regretfully, of the commonplace insignificance of modern clothes. Then, once more turning to the other side of the room, everybody pressed close to the long windows to watch the ceremony outside the colours of the guard regiments that had been blessed in the chapel were carried out and the emperor's slight figure crossed the quay on his way to the wooden pavilion followed by the grand dukes the gentlemen of the court the cossacks and a crowd of other officers the priests in their gorgeous vestments began the service in the pavilion dimly through the thick glass window we could hear the chanting of the gospel then the emperor, followed by the priests, stepped down to the ice. The silver cross was dipped three times in the water. The flags were sprinkled. The cannons thundered their salute. Gold epaulets glistened in the sunshine. Bright-colored uniforms stood out vividly against the snow. The bells of St. Peter and Paul rang out a silver chime across the frozen river. One might have thought one was looking at the page of some old manuscript of Russian history when the Tsar descended from the Kremlin accompanied by the strelitsei in their many-coloured gaftans by the court magnates and boyars in their robes of fur and cloth of gold and the grey-bearded patriarch received them on the ice of the river moskva and in the little floating wooden structure specially constructed crossed three times over the open space of water which was stirred all the time in order to prevent it freezing rituals and pageantries of long-ago days handed down almost unchanged through the centuries one looked across the snow-covered river to the fortress built by peter the great and one thought in one's ignorance that the russian empire was a thing immutable unchangeable and firm the religious ceremony over old court chamberlains and generals thankfully covering their bald heads the procession turned back into the palace and once more we crossed the room to the long open gallery a sudden hush falling on the babel of voices that exclaimed and explained in all languages as the emperor passed through on his way to join the grand duchesses 
all of them remarkably tall men the grand dukes who accompanied him might have made his slight figure seem almost insignificant had he not somehow been possessed of such dignity and majesty that when one bent in the stereotyped court courtesy one seemed to be doing obeisance not only to his title and power but to something else that was hard to explain perhaps if anybody had asked me what that something was i should have said that it was a look in his eyes that blue-gray like nearly all the romanoff's eyes had a wonderful expression of steadfast tranquillity and then having got so far i should not have been able to explain any further but the big gold-studded doors closed behind him too an old court chamberlain opened the great centre doors and we were told that lunch was ready the ambassadors and ambassadresses were placed according to rank but everybody else was allowed to sit or stand as they pleased gay parties were formed at the little round tables and there was a general scramble and a great deal of laughter and meanwhile at the enormous buffet one could see a little chinese secretary diving under the arm of a huge colonel of hussars to get a sandwich an austrian in a gorgeous old hungarian uniform deep in conversation over a plate of cold chicken with an officer of the chevalier guards a secretary of the spanish embassy slowly eating some fruit salad while he listened to the excited explanations of an italian who was describing his first experience of a party out on the ice hills a bulgarian and a serbian stretching out for the same glass of champagne frowned and then gave way to each other politely a superb cossack officer made room for the japanese military attache with a stiff frozen formality a greek and a turk discussed the rival merits of chocolate and vanilla ice and old gentlemen who held some courtesy titles at court made the most of their opportunity of eating lobster salad chicken patties and whipped cream there were also often special services for the emperor's birthday name day or various other commemorations then the kazan cathedral with its great corinthian columns its jewelled icons its torn french flags blazoned with the imperial eagles of napoleon seemed like a casket of pure gold overflowing with the fire of precious stones the green and purple and crimson vestments of the priests the richness of uniforms military and diplomatic the shimmer of decorations the flickering light of a thousand candles the faint blue haze of incense and above it all the marvellous deep intoning of the priests the wonderful clear singing voices of the choir i remember too a gala performance at the marinsky theatre for the romanoff tercentenary celebrations when the three tiers of boxes flamed with the blaze of jewels and the huge parterre was filled with court officials in scarlet uniforms rather like a gigantic field of poppies they looked when with one movement as it seemed they rose and turned towards the imperial box to welcome the emperor's entry on the occasion of the romanoff tercentenary there was also a ball given in the assembly hall of the nobles which the emperor and empress opened in a formal polonaise and where the grand duchess olga fair and graceful in a soft white dress danced every dance and enjoyed herself as simply and whole-heartedly as any girl at her first ball i have a vivid recollection of her standing on the steps leading down from the gallery to the floor of the ballroom her hair shining golden against the crimson velvet curtains her cheeks softly flushed her blue eyes very bright while one or two of her cousins and several other young officers all clamoured for her attention 
a few other ceremonies there were some reviews on the big sandy plains of krasno when the russian army passed in seemingly unending lines before the emperor and the ringing shouts of the soldiers cheered the little father for whom so soon they were going into battle and whom alas they were going to desert and betray then the funeral of an old grand duchess in the cathedral of st peter and paul an interminable service of three hours candles that guttered and flared perilously near crepe veils the low solemn chanting of priests the open coffin with the high baldachin of black velvet and ermine and in the dusky shadows all round the tombs of sleeping emperors and every year the small parade of the gardes a chevelle in the big riding-school of their barracks when in the faint grey dusty light the emperor and all the grand dukes reviewed the serried lines of men who in their golden helmets and breastplates seemed like shifting gleaming ribbons of flame but the glory of the old russian court had been shattered like a cup of glowing jewels the broken pieces still retaining their old-time colour but the pattern and symmetry destroyed for ever the byzantine splendour of old muscovy was a strange medley of eastern voluptuous intemperance and cruelty and an almost monastic austerity the kremlin itself with its cluster of churches and palaces huddling together is a symbol of how closely religion was bound up with the everyday life of the tsars and indeed most of the gorgeous pageantries of those days were of a religious character the festival of the patriarch was one of the chief feasts of the year when the tsar and all his court attended an enormous banquet in the patriarchal palace and on new year's day there was a public celebration in the square before the cathedral of the assumption there was the ceremony of the blessing of the waters and the quaint festival of palm sunday when the tsar led the patriarch mounted on a donkey from the red square up to the cathedral of the assumption and whenever war was declared there was a solemn service when the tsar betook of the sacrament and laid the plan of campaign at the feet of the holy icon of the virgin of vladimir and the patriarch blessed the generals and officers and prayed for the success of the russian arms on the declaration of war in nineteen fourteen this ceremony was once more held for the last time the emperor of all the russias descended the red staircase of the palace and went slowly through the kneeling crowds of his subjects to the cathedral of the assumption and for the last time the golden bells of the kremlin rang out their prayers for victory above the huge concourse of people who wept and prayed and bent to kiss the passing shadow of the little father the day of the tsar of muscovy in the middle ages was mapped out in an almost unchanging routine having risen at four he went to early mass and then held a reception of courtiers boyars members of public offices councillors or envoys to foreign parts who all gathered at the foot of the red staircase those who had the superior right going up into the antechamber the rest according to their respective ranks waiting on the steps or in the courtyard then came another service in church which lasted for two hours and after the midday meal the tsar retired for a siesta at four he rose and went to vespers after which there was a banquet followed by a religious play or else the rest of the evening was spent listening to singers harpers or story-tellers and watching the antics of the court fools and dwarfs occasionally too the tsar went hunting or hawking and the savage sport of bear-fighting in an enclosed pit was a favourite pastime of the court 
the women of old russia were looked on practically as eastern slaves and some of the proverbs and sayings of those days clearly show with what general contempt they were treated a horse must be guided with a bit and a woman with threats is one example and another one must fly from the beauty of women as noah fled from the deluge the terem or women's quarters in the kremlin was guarded almost more severely than a turkish harem and it is said that when a tsarina was ill the room was darkened for the visit of the doctor and her pulse felt through a veil of gauze peter the great's mother the beautiful natalie narishkin and his vigorous strong-minded aunt sophie alexeyevna were the first who dared openly to protest and rebel against this treatment and peter himself enforcing his laws of western civilization on russia altered the position of women for ever it was peter too who abolished the old semi-oriental clothes worn by russians up till his day and issued a decree that all his subjects with the exception of the clergy were to shave or pay a tax even sometimes going so far as to cut off the cherished beards of his protesting and indignant boyars with his own hands the great reformer who transferred the capital from moscow to petersburg hated the old eastern splendor of the court and had no taste for the formality and sumptuous luxury his ancestors had so cherished the old ukazi which forced people meeting the tsar in the streets to descend from their carriage in order to salute him was abolished and peter even severely chastised one or two loyal subjects who persisted in doing it building palaces for his descendants and favorites the emperor himself lived always in small simple houses and it was menchikoff who gave all the banquets and formal receptions revelling in the magnificence which his fabulous wealth made possible when peter died and his second wife succeeded him as catherine too the court became incredibly immoral and debauched and with peter too the son of alexis deteriorated still further menchikoff had honestly tried to educate the boy who graceful and intelligent had at first seemed full of promise but the intrigues of the dolgorauchis caused the downfall of the great favorite peter's engagement with marie menchikoff was broken off and the man who had governed russia and had a thousand slaves to do his bidding was banished to siberia and died in misery and the utmost poverty left to his own devices thinking only of hunting drinking and pleasure the young emperor let the reins of government fall deserted petersburg flirted with his beautiful young aunt elizabeth petrovna became engaged to catherine dolgorauki and finally died of smallpox at moscow in seventeen thirty the crown of russia snatched at by greedy hands swayed above an abyss of darkness the great empire peter had sought to reform seemed likely to slip back into even greater disorders the regency is said to have been offered to yudokshaw peter's first wife the dalkorauchis made a vain and spasmodic attempt to gain the throne for catherine a few voices called loudly for peter's daughter elizabeth but finally the duchess of courland who was a daughter of peter the great's half-brother ivan was elected empress vulgar and common in her tastes slovenly in her dress anna ivanovna reigned for ten years and the court in her days must have borne a strange resemblance to some travelling circus hunchbacks dwarfs dogs and animals of all kinds swarming in the palace the empress amusing herself by shooting at sparrows from the windows or lying half-dressed on a couch covered with bearskins listening to story-tellers or singers 
she definitely however made petersburg once more the capital of russia living in the palace of count apraxin while the winter palace which had fallen into disrepair was being rebuilt on her death in seventeen forty she left the throne to ivan the baby son of her niece anna leopoldovna who had married a duke of brunswick under the regency of buren who said to have started life as a stove-lighter had then become manuscript writer and bringing some papers for anna to sign when she was still duchess of courland had won his way into her favour and made himself ruler of russia but like so many of the great favourites buren was to tread the way of exile to siberia while anna leopoldovna claimed the regency for her son until a few months later another coup d'etat convulsed the palace and the crown of russia was seized by the soft white hands of elizabeth the only remaining daughter of peter the great though for the last few years she had made very few public appearances and had been living in a way that caused scandal and gossip even in the utterly dissolute society of those days she was still possessed of the radiant voluptuous beauty which won all hearts and had so stirred the youthful passion of peter too during her reign the court of russia attained a brilliance which till then had been unknown her love of gorgeous apparel was inordinate and she was said at one time to have possessed fifteen thousand dresses of silk and five thousand pairs of shoes she had a passion for ceremonial display and delighted in masquerades for which she generally put on men's clothes which showed off her magnificent figure to perfection refusing to marry on the ground that she had never got over the death of charles of holstein to whom she had been engaged she made her nephew peter ulrich of holstein her heir serious questions of policy and affairs of state were neglected while the empress chose new lovers and festivals of all kinds succeeded each other in endless succession till in a sudden spasmodic fit of repentance elizabeth set off on a pilgrimage to some distant shrine or convent her reluctant suite forced to follow her and under all the incredible magnificence there was always a hopeless discomfort that almost amounted to squalor in her memoirs the grand duchess catherine describes her bedroom in the palace at moscow that led into a small inner chamber where seventeen of her ladies and maids were herded together and which was alive with vermin while in the winter palace at petersburg there was an alcove just behind her bed where her husband kept six of his hounds when later elizabeth died and catherine became sole sovereign of russia her court rivalled in grandeur and refinement that of versailles for the big balls at the winter palace twenty apartments were thrown open the russian nobles seeking to outshine each other in the splendour of their costumes the magnificence of their jewels polish hungarian and foreign uniforms adding to the wealth of colour at a given moment the doors of the vast room would be flung open and catherine in a stiff dress of cloth of gold blazing with diamonds would make her solemn entry unlike elizabeth catherine herself loved simplicity seldom drank anything and was sober and frugal in her meals delighting in small informal receptions at the hermitage where conventions and etiquette were forgotten and games of forfeits of all kinds were played a list of rules was hung at the door bidding all those who entered leave hats and swords outside forget formality and arrogance be gay without becoming overbearing sit or stand or walk as they pleased talk as they liked but not too much or too loud argue without heat not yawn or sigh eat as they pleased but not drink to excess and when they left let all they heard pass in at one ear and out at the other 
during the reign of paul the court was subjected to a form of tyranny that was almost a reign of terror the emperor's love of inspiring awe and fear made him insist on his courtiers going down on one knee to salute him he issued strict orders that the new round hats were never to be worn and even gave instructions concerning the dressing of ladies hair alexander won his life shadowed for ever by the death of his father had not much love for court ceremonies but with the accession of his brother nicholas autocratic and powerful magnificent entertainments of all kinds were again introduced in eighteen thirty seven the winter palace was entirely destroyed by fire which starting in a flue while the emperor and his family were at a theatre raged for thirty hours nearly all the treasures were however saved and the palace was rebuilt in three years on almost exactly the same lines as the original edifice so through the reigns of nicholas i of alexander the second and of alexander third in spite of wars in the crimea and the balkans in spite of the sudden upsurging of the nihilists and their conspiracies and bombs in spite of palace intrigues the death of great emperors and the swift shifting passing of days the court still maintained its luxury and splendor at the beginning of nicholas ii's reign the balls at the winter palace were perhaps the most gorgeous spectacle seen in modern times about three thousand guests were invited and the wealth of all the different uniforms the fire of priceless jewels and decorations the moving throng of shifting colors in the vast rooms must have made a picture hard to forget the emperor and empress always opened these balls by a formal polonaise going three times round the room and changing partners at each turn the emperor taking the arm of one of the grand duchesses or ambassadresses and the empress doing likewise with a grand duke or ambassador at midnight an enormous sit-down supper was served the emperor going from one table to another and stopping at each one individually to converse with his guests there were also somewhat smaller balls where at supper the tables to seat about sixteen persons were each surmounted by an enormous palm-tree so that the whole vast room looked like a forest of palms and then there were the small informal dances at the hermitage the private performances in the theatre there the formal celebration of st george's day as well as many other banquets and receptions of all kinds most of all however the emperor had always been devoted to a country life and during the latter years before the war his days were passed in a routine of the utmost simplicity at tsarko or petrohof working with untiring conscientiousness from an early hour in the morning he would receive foreign diplomats members of the government representatives of all classes and spend the rest of the day in the quiet round of the family circle playing games or going for long walks in the gardens but it was the white palace of livadia in the crimea that he loved the best for there above the blue sea among the flowers of the wonderful gardens the shadows that surrounded his path must have seemed further away and listening to his children's happy voices perhaps his face lost some of its grave fixed sadness in the hideous tragedy of siberia the grim awfulness of the days that recorded read like an incredible ghastly nightmare too frightful to be true the most heart-breaking note of all i think is the marvellous unselfish love that united the imperial family and for me the saddest memory of all is the picture of the grand duchess olga radiant and laughing at the ball in the assembly hall of the nobles or sadder still 
that other vision i have of her riding through the park at petrov one early summer morning with her sisters the grand duchesses tatiana and anastasia the light of youth and glowing health on their faces and the clear sound of their laughter echoing back through the sunny dew-drenched woods i have too unforgettably impressed on my mind my earliest recollection of the emperor many years before we ever went to russia i was at the time about eight or nine years old and my father was accredited to the court of the grand duke hesse the late empress's brother at darmstadt what the exact occasion was i have forgotten but i know that in a frilly white frock i was taken as a great treat to see a special performance of hansel and gretel our box was next door to one of the royal boxes and when we first came in my mother whispered to me that the slight grave-faced young man who was sitting just next to me was the emperor of russia in one act of the opera the witch's cottage in the wood blows up with a terrific bang and though i knew the story and was prepared for it the noise was louder than i expected and gave me a tremendous start i don't think i screamed but i certainly shut my eyes very tight and held on to the edge of the box and when after a few seconds i dared look up again i found that the emperor had turned round and was smiling at me child though i was the singular charm of that smile and the softness of the grave blue eyes stirred me strangely and when later my mother told me that the emperor had said that he had quite understood that i was frightened at the noise and had added please tell her that i hated it too i was overcome with pride and delight still earlier than this was my first meeting with the empress it was shortly after we had arrived at darmstadt and when she was still only princess alex of hesse and one sunny summer afternoon my nurse took me for a walk in one of the royal gardens to which my father and mother had been given the key we were sitting on one of the benches when a slight graceful young lady in deep mourning passed by fascinated by her beautiful face and wonderful golden hair i stared with wide-open eyes and pausing with a little smile she began to talk to my nurse who had hastily got up and then turning to me said she and her brother were giving a tea-party to a lot of children in the gardens and would i like to come too i was in those days so well brought up that i must have come very near to being a little prig and i can still hear myself saying sedately that i wasn't allowed to go out to tea without my mother's permission the beautiful lady in black however only laughed and said i needn't worry it would be quite all right and eventually sending my nurse home to fetch my mother took me with her her sweetness and charm making my heart go out to her in quick childish devotion shortly after this i had a serious illness and though i believe princess alex came very often to sit with my mother i was i suppose too bad to know much about it but one day i clearly remember waking up from semi-unconsciousness to find her lovely face looking down at me and i remember too her saying to my mother in a whisper look she smiled she actually smiled at me so soon were the responsibilities and cares of a great position the suspense of incessant danger the shadows of calumny and suspicion to dim the radiant beauty of her youth and harden all her softness and glowing colour suffering always from an unconquerable shyness she was accused of being stiff and cold while the shocks and terror of the revolution of nineteen o five the constant anxiety for the little sarvitch's health had a serious effect on her nerves influenced by anna vera she believed that rasputin was a holy man and that he had the gift of healing which alone could save her son 
she refused to listen to any of the advice or warnings given to her was sat in her idea of preserving the autocracy and convinced that whatever happened the army would remain loyal the rumours that charged her with being a violent pro-german the slanders that imputed unspeakable things in her relations with rasputin are all only iniquitous lies and whatever other indictment there may be against her surely the accusing voices must fall into silence as the smoke from the murderous rifles rises and fades on the vast grey horizon of siberia so the happy laughter of the young grand duchesses the slight figure of the emperor the tragic beautiful face of the empress the old court of russia with its glitter and pomp and majesty pass and vanish in darkness and chaos and yet amidst the ruin and emptiness of desolation the shadows of the old long-forgotten days still seem to linger ivan the terrible peter the great catherine the furtive figure of paul they shift and move and fade away like pictures on a screen a splendid cossack in scarlet standing in one of the rooms of the winter palace an old court chamberlain bald-headed a little bent under the weight of his heavy gold-braided coat a tall slim girl in the ruby velvet robes of the demoiselle d'honneur that gave to every girl elected to this honour an independent rank by which she very often took precedence of her own parents the figure of a young grand duke in a dazzling uniform the blue ribbon of st andre across his breast the golden agulets that marked him as aide-de-camp to the emperor on his shoulder the smoke of spattering machine-guns a rabble of fierce-eyed dirty men hide them from sight the yellow imperial standard with the double-headed eagle lies torn and stained with blood on the ground and the red flag of so-called liberty flutters above the bullet-scarred walls of the winter palace End of chapter three